she uh, she did the thing where my arm was extended. It was called it, muscle testing. Yeah, the muscle testing. I test do that. It. Okay. So she did that, and then uh, she would have me look in different directions, up or down, left, right, uh, and then also do the muscle testing. So do you know what she's doing? So what is that? Because that part's fascinating. Okay. So we're not live, are we? We are live, yes. Oh. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> Shay, what's your last name? Shay Uval. 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 Oh, okay. So you don't pronounce it the same way as Yuval Harari. His uh, is no. it's spelled the same, but... So it's Israeli. Mine is of Israeli origin. My uh -huh. dad's Israeli, so it's pronounced Yuval. But we'll go with Yuval. Oh, oh wait, wait. But say it how you say it, though? Yuval. Y Yuval. It's just a heavier accent because that's how it's pronounced in Hebrew. Ah, uh, I, I love it. Okay. All right, so we're talking about iridology and uh, muscle testing because uh, I was saying to Shay that I had a coach in college, a black guy with dark eyes, but when he got angry, they would turn yellow. And I was just like, oh, that's crazy. And then she was like, there's a science behind it. All right, so as you, I'm sorry, as you were saying. So I'll get to the fun, juicy part about the science behind iridology. Okay. So if you look at your iris um, as a map that correlates to different parts of your organs, if you find little black dots, and I bet you your viewers are going to go to the mirror after and go, oh, my God. If you find little black dots, that's telling you that you've got a blockage in that specific organ. And depending on where, what section it is in your eye will correlate to a different part of your organ. So if you're down towards the bottom, we're looking at your liver or your heart. Now, don't worry, people, you're not going to die, okay? You just have a little bit of a toxic buildup. No big deal. Now, going back to your college friend whose eyes went, as you were saying, went from a, um, a brown chromatic scheme right. and then all of a sudden showed lighter, like almost amber. What yeah. happens is when he gets stressed out, your body creates something called oxidative stress. It's a real thing. Stress can cause cancer. It's a real thing. When we're young, we're like, I'm invincible. I can do anything. I can eat pizza at you know, midnight and not get fat, and I can not sleep for 24 hours and go to class the next day and be totally coherent. We have different beliefs about our body, but it catches up with us oxidative stress. And that creates a toxin. Toxins in your iris look as an amber or rust color. There you go. All right. So what else could be causing those? Going back to the black dots in your eyes, mm -hmm. what else could be causing that blockage? Is it so is that like you need to change your diet? Is it like or is it like a number of factors? So bingo diet. And then there's uh, external stress, emotional stress, oxidative stress, family stress. Family is a big one. Family stress. Yeah. Everybody goes, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. My family's crazy. Talk to your friends. You'll be shocked. Over 50% of your friends don't talk to a relative or a sibling or a parent. At our age? Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. You mean like they don't talk to any of them at no, all? No, at least one person. There's always, so in the age, in like your late 30s to 40s, okay. we come into our own as children and we know who we are and we're like, uh-uh, cousin Mary, forget you, you know anti so-and-so, you crazy. And you really, people cut off their connection with certain people. 50% of people that you encounter after the age of 35 do not talk to at least one relative. So when you think about yourself, you're like, oh my God, I can't bring my due date over to meet my family because they're going to realize how crazy we are. Don't worry, half of us are. What? Mm -hmm. Which is crazy because uh, Shay and I met, you and I met, at uh, my cousin's birthday party, and uh, cousin Simone, and, and Simone has the exact opposite issue, where she has a million friends and she's connected to everybody. Uh, so she's the exact opposite of what we're talking about, which is why I think she maintains her youthful uh, disposition. That's there's actually a correlation between that. Stress also depletes you of your. Your, um, the fluids in your system, so if, you have, if you're dehydrated, more wrinkles will show. It also depletes you of your collagen and your elastin. Again, more wrinkles will show. Um, when your body is stressed, you're going to love this, you get 
black spots. People call them sunspots on your face. But originally they were called liver spots, indicating you have a problem with your liver because you're not processing toxins. So if you've got toxins in your liver, which can come from environmental issues, which is family, stress, finances, or the other thing that you said earlier, which is food, you will, it will show up on your face as a brown spot. Imagine that. Now, some people break out not in just the brown spots, but sometimes they break out like in a rash, like a red rash. It is all types of like, uh, so what is the CEA? Things that end in CEA, is that like a skin, con like I'm thinking C like Propecia, Echinacea. Oh, or, or uh, Propecia, uh, Rosacea. Rosacea, that kind of stuff. What, what, is, what is the sha? I don't know what the Shah is, okay. but I, you did say about the skin. Now, I'm going to tell you something that you probably didn't know. Your skin is your largest organ. Right. Okay? So when something goes wrong in your stomach, because your stomach holds 80% of your immunity, okay, and that's where you process in your stomach is where you process all of the foods, which then either get absorbed as minerals and vitamins and whatnot, it also absorbs and tries to filter out all your toxins. So when it's trying to get rid of it, it expels it through your skin. So that's when you have redness. It's blooming through your skin. So is that the importance then of a sauna or getting out in the sun of sweat? And yeah. exercise also? That's exactly what it is. So when you want to do a sauna, you want to make sure you do an IR sauna, sauna, which stands for infrared, because that goes down into your skin and penetrates your skin and boils out the toxins. Think about it. Bugs and parasites and fungus, what are they like? Cold, dark, moist areas. So if you go into an infrared sauna or even just being in the sun, and they recommend 20 minutes a day to get your vitamin D3. That will sort of make your toxins, your parasites, your fungus, your mold, all of that unhappy and die because they can't handle being dried out. Now, the infrared saunas are a new thing because me and my buddies, we get in a, because I have my friends who do regular saunas and then some who do infrared saunas. I traditionally just do the regular sauna because I'm like, I don't see the difference in the infrared sauna costs more. But how, how would we naturally get that infrared type of heat? So infrared saunas are not a new thing. It's new to you. Excuse me for saying no, that. So, it's no, please. very popular in Europe. Um, it's very popular with professional athletes. Right. It's popular when you have a need for it. You find it. You know how all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God. I've never seen um, somebody say this sentence and now you're seeing it everywhere, you know, or, oh, we were just talking about going to Italy and now you see it everywhere or something. Like, so now that you're in like searching, you're going to see infrared is everywhere. And actually one of my favorite places is just here in Washington in Marina del Rey, not, far, not located far from you, where you can purchase for an hour, $37 I think it was, and you can go with a friend and you go from infrared to a floating water uh, pod, mm -hmm. and then shower and infrared, and, and you do it for an hour. And you're only staying in each time five to ten minutes because you can't handle it too much. So right. you're trying to sweat it out, and then you shower, and then you can float, and then you shower. It's wonderful. Um, so if you don't have access to an infrared sauna, and if where you're located, it's expensive, you can go to my buddy. His name is Amazon. You can buy yourself an IR light. It's red. It's a light bulb. And you can, you know, I used to use it and put it on my countertop as I was getting ready and let it heat my, my stomach area, my abdominal region. And I could just feel like a sizzle. You're not getting cooked, but you feel like you feel better after. You just want to make sure you're not staring at the light bulb because you don't want to damage your cornea. Okay. And then you also want to make sure you don't touch the light bulb with your hands. Use a tissue or a glove or a towel because the natural oils, the sebum on your fingers, will, will eventually it'll start cooking on the light bulb and it'll make your light bulb um, pop, crack. I have a friend who does the IR light and she swears by it. Yeah. She loves it. Yeah. Yeah. The um, Going back to what you were saying is like your stomach holds 80% of your immunity. Is mm -hmm. that what you're saying? Um, so with flu season coming up, it's, it's almost October now. 
and uh, people, you know, I have a medicine cabinet full of, I, I, what was that? El, is it elderberry? What was I taking last? I think it was a bunch of elderberry extracts and stuff. I got, I was, I was sick for like a whole month. It took me down. Um, <laughs> so I think you and I talked about like, don't get the flu. Uh, vaccination. Can you talk more about that? So any vaccination that you get is actually injecting a little bit of that virus into just enough so that hopefully your body, your immunity is strong enough so that it creates antibodies for it. So when you do get exposed to it in full form, your body goes, ha ha ha, I've already built up my army, got you. If you've ever noticed, they'll tell you it's not flu in, um, uh, flu virus, uh, flu injections are not inoculations, are not for the senior. Because the seniors don't have the same immunity, they can't handle it. So they highly recommend, if you're a senior, not to get the flu, vi uh, flu um, anti-flu virus. Um, so what should we be doing instead? How do we shore up our, uh, you know, our, all right, I guess two questions. One is, what are some of the things we're doing that are destroying our immunity? Um, and, I, and even stating the obvious form like alcohol, and, you know, drugs, et cetera. But then what are the things we can do to strengthen our immunity? Our, our, at least that, are we talking about gut biome when you say in our stomach or okay. is that two separate? So there's it's so many answers I can offer, but the first thing I wanna say is you don't realize how much of the food that we eat here in America is not good for us because we're so used to using it we don't even think, okay? Salad dressings, if you look at any of those, it has a list of chemicals in them. Okay. Some of them have preservatives in there. So if you ingest something with a preservative, what you're essentially doing is you're coating the inside of your stomach with a preservative. It's like putting a plastic in there. So when you do take in something healthy, like uh, an apple or broccoli, your body can't absorb the benefits that it offers because you've got that plastic coating in there. Right. Another big one is we eat potato chips. We don't realize there's MSG in all of them. And I know some of you will go, oh, it's no big deal, it's no big deal. Well, take it, I used to be very ill at one point. And I had no room for yet one more toxin. And if I ate anything that had MSG, I once went to a friend's house. She offered me tum ka, which is uh, a Thai soup. It's a coconut soup. And that particular restaurant used MSG within 20 minutes. And I'd taken off my shoes. I had like those ballerina slip-on shoes. Within 20 minutes, my feet were so swollen, I couldn't put my shoes on anymore. I had to walk outside on the asphalt barefoot to my car. She was so apologetic. So MSG is a real thing. All of these preservatives, all of these chemicals, soft drinks, get rid of everything chemical. That's your number one. Because if your immune system is busy breaking down chemicals, it doesn't have time to fend off flu or any, anything else you might catch. So I shouldn't eat this Halo Top ice cream I got in the freezer. Is that what you're telling me? Um, <laughs> look, you, you all, everybody has to pick and choose how they want to live their life. Right. You know, Eventually, I am going to be an ND, a naturopathic physician, next year. And I don't want people to come to me and go, oh, my God, I'm failing because I don't do this and I don't do that. One, one thing at a time. Do one thing better at a time. Get to your comfort zone. If you try to do everything, it's overwhelming. And it's unreasonable. It's unreasonable. It's like me going to a personal fitness trainer and having him try to train me to be a marathon runner. That's not fair. Not ready for it. So if you want to eat your halo, eat just like one, one portion less, one tablespoon less. You know? Meh. I love it. Uh, I, so can you tell us about your your backstory? Because like you said, you you said you had some health issues, and and then uh, can you talk a little bit about that, and then what your journey's been in terms of getting stronger? Ooh. Um, so the first things first. I'm going to take it a step further. Yeah. I was um, at the age of about early 30s. I wanted to become or started to get involved in horse jumping, and when you first start, you're jumping baby jumps. I mean, they're not higher than a shoebox, the jumps, okay? Scary as hell nonetheless, right? And uh, as you progress, you're, you're staying, you're in the position where you're competing against everybody at this point, but you're competing against people who've been doing it for 10 plus years um, and people who are in their teens who have 10 times more energy than I did in my, you know, mid-30s. 
And I was like, I just couldn't keep up. I just had no energy. So I turned to, su to supplementation and I turned to recovery drinks and it was a legitimate benefit. I saw a huge difference and I went from being average to taking home year-end championships from supplementation. So I was a firm believer. And then I went through horrible stress. I went through a devastating divorce, which uh, took me through court for five years, over 27 different court dates. And short story, uh, my parents were very conservative and they didn't believe in divorce, so they abandoned me at the same time. So here I am going through court, hiring lawyers, not and have zero helping me. So I got sick. I got very stressed. There's that oxidative stress problem. I got so sick, I got so swollen, I went up two shoe sizes. I had to wear uh, shoes that had like an open back, so slide on slides. Um, I had to wear pants that had like elastic because I couldn't zip up my zip or do my button. And um, it, I couldn't, I had to bend over to get my, my shirt off. I had to use gravity to help me get it off because I couldn't raise my arms over my shoulder. Everything was tight and locked. And I went for x-rays and CTs and there was nothing wrong. There was nothing wrong with my joints or my bones. Nothing that would come up. So I had to abandon Western medicine and I had to pursue getting rid of oxidative stress, finding something that would make give me joy. I turned to animals. We can talk about that later. And uh, I turned to a healthier diet and I had to get rid of everything because I was just loaded with toxins. The, the turning to the animals, I first of all, to go back a little bit, when I was nine years old, uh -huh. I was diagnosed with having a stomach ulcer. And I remember the doctor being like, I've never seen a stomach ulcer in someone so young. Uh, so I also have an a, a issue managing stress myself. Do you think parent. it was stress related or do you think oh, it was something sure, else? Oh, for sure, because when they went back in, uh, they didn't, like, uh, I remember I had to take, like, maybe a week off from school. And then when I went to another doctor, he was like, I can't find anything. There's no sign of an ulcer. So it, it, uh, something's going on, but I know for me that uh, I definitely hold my tension in my stomach. Like I don't, I don't hold it in my fists or on my shoulders. My face doesn't scrunch up. It's all in my stomach. So I, I very, uh, I mean, when I look back, it's not like I had uh, a stressful childhood. It, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't gunshots. Or wasn't, I wasn't having to run home from school or getting bullied. So I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's it's uh, more genetic for whatever reason because I know that like some people are born with naturally um, higher cortisol levels than others. I'm blood type B, and uh, blood type Bs have a natural uh, are naturally higher in cortisol levels and have a, a more challenging time managing stress. But I don't know if it's to that level where like a nine year old where a doctor's like you have ulcer. I have an ulcer, stay well, so, home. So here's the thing. If you have an ulcer, an ulcer is like a wound in your stomach. It can't just go away. Right. Um, you probably had damage to your mucosa lining, so there's like a mucus lining on your stomach, and that's caused by acids in your stomach produced by stress, okay? Um, there's a couple of other things. When you pr Everybody produces cortisol that helps you get through your day, that helps you wake up in the morning. And throughout the stage of the day, you produce less and less cortisol because you can't have a ton of cortisol before you go to sleep or you never fall asleep. Okay? If you cortisol is also the same um, hormone and, and, and adrenal that helps you during fight or flight. Right? So if we go back to dinosaur ages and uh, you were getting chased by a dinosaur, you'd need to have that superpower boost to run at that moment. You don't need it the entire time, you just need it in that moment. But when the dinosaur is gone, you're fine. Now going back to your, you know, you know being a nine-year-old, you were saying, I didn't really have any stress, I wasn't running home from school, I wasn't being bullied. There's something about perceived stress. There's something called an executive headache, where you could get a headache because you perceive all of these stressors because of your personal uh, belief system. 
if you don't think you're good enough, you carry that with you everything you do. And every time you go for a test, whether it be a school test or a physical test or an interview, your stress is going to go up because you have a personal belief system. And those belief systems get created from the age of zero to 10. You know, I was going to therapy and that was my mantra. She was like, you know, I was talking to her about this and that. And she was like, you need to write down and say every day, like 10 times a day or 100 times a day, I am enough. Oh, you see, not yeah. good enough. I, did I not call it? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So here's the problem with that. You really have to believe it. You can't just go, fine, she told me to say it. I say it 10 times and well, it didn't do anything. Now what? You have to believe it. There's another method that will help because anything you say, all of your, your entire body on a cellular level believes you. You are the teacher, you are the leader, and all of your cells are the students. If the teacher doesn't believe, why should the student believe? So you have to believe it so your cells go, your cells go oh, okay, I believe, I believe, and they will, you will heal yourself. Okay? There's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Bruce Lipton who wrote a book about uh, change your DNA, change your life. Change your life, change your DNA, something like that. And basically, the way that you think can change you on a molecular structure. Now, I will say one, one in addition to this, you might want to say while you're saying changing these belief systems, you might incorporate EFT. It's called emotional freedom tapping. Have you heard of it? Yes. Beautiful. So for those listeners who don't know what it is, EFT where you're saying your new mantra while you're tapping on certain meridians on your face. Those meridians attach to, to the rest of your organs. And so it's more of a physical connection to say, wake up, organs. Believe what I'm telling you right now. You're getting everybody's attention. Imagine you're navigating at a concert, trying to get to the beer line, and you can't get through people, and you tap someone on their shoulder. I don't care how busy and how crazy it is. That person's going to turn around and give you their eyes to say yes, and you might say, can I get through? You may not even use the words, but the tapping got their attention. That's what tapping does. You know, it's so powerful because uh, there are, I, and I recognize in my body, there's certain points in my body where if it's touched, no matter what the intention is, it brings up the an emotional uh, history to it, whether it's good or positive. But there's just certain parts of my body where I know I'm, like it, it opens me up more if you mm -hmm. tap me there, and then it closes me off if you tap. And it has nothing to do with the person; it just has to do with the history of, um, of you know, just like I remember when I was going in for um, uh, football when I was being recruited by different colleges, and the coaches would would put their arm around you. I was never comfortable with the arm around me because it, well, Ooh. if the arm was all the way around me. I was cool with that. If they put their hand on my back, I felt like they were they were insincere. You know, it was it was a small difference. It's like did somebody in your childhood put your hand I, on I your back and was insincere? You know, not that I can recall. That's the thing. It, but there's something about like the the hand between my shoulder blades that bugs you, irks that, you, that irks me versus you just coming all the way in with the hug. To me, that's kind of like you're not, I guess to me it kind of registers like you're not all the way in. You know ah, what I mean? Ah. It's like. So somebody there's, somebody there's dropped a, the ball with you. Somebody oh, dropped the ball, let yeah, you my down. My father wasn't, ah, yeah, ah. that whole thing. Right. So it's called an imprint, right? You, something happens, it imprints. Anytime, you know, a lot of times this imprint or even nostalgia will come back with smells. You ever sit on the grass after it's been mown now as adults? We don't have time to take our socks and shoes off and sit on, sit on the grass, right? After the, the, the lawn's been mowed, you smell that cut grass. It brings us all back to our childhood, right? right? Hopefully in a good way, right? So smells will do that more prevalently. Um, certain smell of a perfume or a cologne that a former boyfriend or girlfriend used to wear. You're like, oh, it brings me back. Certain songs, music, oh, my God, I remember this song from college. That was my first slow dance, blah, 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 okay? So it's important to work through it because then we end up with disorders. 
A very common one is called um, borderline personality disorder. You don't have that, okay? Um, and what happens is whatever happened, we create such shame around it that we cannot look at it anymore. That any time, and then what we do is that becomes, it's called an anchor. I actually put out DVDs on Amazon about CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. When we have an anchor of, for you, your anchor might be hand between the shoulders. Somebody man, then might grab your, sh your arm, your, your bicep. And because it's so close to the hand between your shoulder blades, you might then adopt that as another anchor. And it starts to grow to similar behaviors. Wow. And your brain creates this growth. It's called neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is when you're creating more nerve superhighways of uh, similar ways to get to the same fear, the same anchor. Okay? So now you have, let's say, for borderline personality disorder, it's about shaming, about something happened in their childhood where they were shamed. And they can't be shamed at all costs. They can't be shamed at all. And so something insignificant, uh, let's say, you'll notice somebody accidentally, uh, you know, stepped on the carpet and left a mark and didn't take their shoes off. No big deal. You'll take the carpet. It's a small enough area rug, and you can throw it into the, dish uh, the washing machine. No big deal. But that person will do everything in their power to lie about something insignificant. And then by fluke, because you had your camera on or somebody took a picture while it happened, you'll see in the background it really was them. And it's so insignificant, but they don't have an ability to even come close to it. So it creates more problems. They have to now lie to great extents. And it's just, you know, it's unfortunate. So going back, how do you erase it? When, you ha when somebody puts their hand on the back between your shoulder blades. You have to take a moment to be completely still, be present, think of the area around you, think of the person who's doing it, think of their intention and say, I'm okay. This person cares about me. So what you're doing is you're reassessing what you've stored as an anchor and you're, you're reassessing, am I really, do I really have a reason to hold this grudge in this moment? And by just going over this moment and reassuring this person is a friend, you might even ask someone, can you put your hand between my shoulder blades? You've asked them. And you just tell yourself, we're okay, there's nothing wrong. You might even do it when you have your favorite song on so that you can have support with a really good feeling and that hand there to erase that old anchor. Is that, and I, I don't know why I'm thinking about this, is that, kind of what self-flagellation becomes? Is that them trying to take ownership of the, the pain that they feel? Does that question make sense? I'm not familiar with that word, actually. So, like, flagell like um, so sometimes you'll, um, like, especially, like, in the Japanese culture, but in, in many, in, in most cultures, but I'm just thinking Japanese in particular because I watch a lot of those um, old uh, martial arts movies, but like if someone would shame, if they shame the family, um, sometimes uh, they would they would have this little whip and they would hit themselves uh, repeatedly as kind of like a repentance mm -hmm. for the shame that they've caused. Um, and to me, that it kind of is like, um, well, I, I guess that's two different things because you're saying like, all right, if you're uncomfortable with the hand on your back. Then take ownership and ask people to actually put their hand on your back so that you can reassociate what so the hand on the back means. Well, I hear what you're saying. So going back to the cultural thing, that's a cultural thing, and that's something different. We're like, oh, my God, in my culture, I did something so embarrassing. I, I you know, I'm shamed. Mm -hmm. But for you, with putting your hand on it, um, maybe your incident isn't about hand. Maybe your thing is about um, something else. Like... In this instance, I'm just trying to alleviate getting someone comfortable, getting your, having somebody touch you and you being comfortable with it. Right. So you might have that person who puts their hand on there list all the things they admire in you. Mm. You know, as a way of associating hand on my back and feeling good. That's what you need to do to erase it. I'll give you a better example. That's let's a say, great example of it. Go ahead. Okay, let's say as a little kid, you were taught the boogeyman's in the closet. And that in order to sleep, you have to make sure that closet door was closed at all times. 
Now as an adult, you go into a hotel room and you can't sleep. You're tossing and turning all night because the closet is open. You have to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, close the closet, and then you can sleep. It's completely irrational. But we developed it between the age of 1 to 9, and we can't erase it easily. So what you need to do is you have to go back into that closet and, and stare in the closet and go, there's nobody in this closet. Or sit in the closet in the dark and take a few breaths, meditate, and go, I'm okay in this closet. It's dark. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. There's no boogeyman in here. Maybe eat your favorite dessert in there. Maybe eat your Halo ice cream in there. Maybe, <laughs> maybe only allow yourself right. to eat Halo ice cream in the closet is a way of turning around a negative environment into a positive environment. Now, if you can't do it by yourself by eating ice cream in this closet and it's not working, there's another more scientific way of helping, and that's called EMDR, which, is, which is, stands for Eye Movement uh, motion, something, desensitization, and so what you're doing is you mentally go through the part that makes you uncomfortable, you talk about it out loud, and the therapist who's working with you puts on a series of lights that go from your left eye to your right eye. So what you're doing is you're, you're moving from your, your two different hemispheres in your brain. You've got a right hemisphere and a left hemisphere in your, your cerebellum. And by crossing over your corpus callosum, which is the middle crossing bridge between the two of them, somehow something that gets locked in your automat autonomic thought process, your subconscious process, into your present consci uh, conscious process, it crosses over. And then as an adult, you can go, oh my god, of course there's no boogeyman in the closet, and it dissipates that feeling. I've tried EMDR. I've done it in Culver City, and I actually liked it, and I used it for fear of needles. Really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so is it? So you just had the fear of needles, not talking about blood, me, not blood. No, fear of needles. The prick is when I was seven years old. They they injected me into my palate by the dentist to remove two teeth, and he he injected the Novocaine too quickly which means it distends the tissue too quickly. So you have a stretch in your palate, which doesn't have room to stretch. And that hurt like an SOB. And I cried like an SOB and like I was scarred. I wanted to go to med school and that's the reason I didn't go. Now, let me ask you, because right, so you're going, you're going to get your PhD? So it's a PhD, but I need to specify of naturopathic um, uh, medicine. Mm -hmm. So it's not an eight-year medical uh, school. It's a naturopathic medicine. Okay. So it cannot prescribe narcotics. So why, why would someone come to you versus uh, a regular doctor then? Like what would... Great question. When Western medicine doesn't work, people end up going the natural route, which is what I ended up doing because they couldn't fix my problem with Western medicine. They couldn't find anything wrong. They tested me for lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, for fibromyalgia, and everything came up negative, and all the medicines that they put me on didn't work for me. So I went, i got to try something. i got to keep trying. That's what happened. Another, another uh, reason why people might want to come is preventative care. See, if you're so far gone... You know, um, or if it's very serious, like if you have a car accident and you're bleeding out of your aorta, I'm not going to put tea leaves on it, mm -hmm. right? You need to go get surgery <laughs> right. and get whatever Novocaine or whatever, it is, uh, not Novocaine, um, oxycodone or whatever it is they're going to give you. And I, c I recommend that. Go do that. It's You come to me when Western medicine can't fix it or when you're like, I want the next edge. Things aren't working quite right. I've got a bloated stomach and nothing's working. I feel like I'm a little bit more slow, uh, swollen. I feel like I'm a little bit more sluggish. Women in their 40s who have now thyroid issues, um, hot flashes, to help with hot flashes, to help with blooming of your skin when you get those red uh, rosacea or the uh, hot flashes or he uh, hives. You know, maybe you don't want to take medicine all the time because medicine, Western medicine, often blocks your receptors in your body. So even though the damage is happening, your body doesn't perceive it. So you're not stopping the damage. You're just not perceiving at the moment.
When you have a headache and you take Tylenol and Advil, your headache's still there, but the message sent to your receptors to tell you that you're in pain have been cut off. So whatever created the headache is still there. The same thing with painkillers, uh -huh. right? You're just blocking. It, uh, you know, I've, I've really found power in, we talked about this a little bit, uh, meditation. Like, you know, because I, I, I struggle with uh, pain going down uh, one side or the other. And I don't know what, uh, it clearly is linked to stress partly because I sit down and I meditate and most of my pain is alleviated. And it's, it's remarkable. I'm so lucky because I have so many, I have friends who I know can't sit there and even for like a minute or two. So I'm going to address the friends who can't sit there for a minute or two because I'm one of those people. <laughs> and I was like, excuse my language, God damn it, why can't I meditate? Yeah. And so somebody said to me this, you ever been engrossed in a thought or you just had an argument and all of a sudden you're driving home and you miss your exit? You ever done that? You miss your exit? Absolutely. You, right. So technically, in that moment, while you were engrossed in those thoughts about that particular incident, you're in a state of meditation. <gasps> right? You're in a state of meditation. So nothing else is in your mind. That's what's occupying. You're occupying yourself only about that. Right. And you're going to be forgetful. You're not going to pay attention to anything else. Have you ever gone through a breakup? You ever notice during those next few days when you're driving, everybody's honking at you because you're not paying attention to the road. You're trying, but you're not. Okay. So what happens if I say to you, instead of it, you being in a state of meditation because of a frustration like a breakup or this or that, what happens if you go engage with animals? You ever find yourself playing with a puppy? You can't take it. You're petting its face. You're putting it into your face. You're smelling its paws. Any little floppy thing you're doing, and all of a sudden an hour goes by, and you didn't think of your bills once. Right? I'm the exact opposite. I, I got two minutes with a dog, and I'm done. I'm like, scram. Get out of here. Okay. <laughs> no, but so I get what you're saying. So for you, I dog is not the answer. Right, right, right. And, and I think it is about personality because, you know, I can easily meditate for an hour, hour and a half. Uh, but playing with pets, not okay, so, so <laughs> Not for you, but maybe, maybe for you it's going to the gym. Maybe for right. somebody else it's singing and they're a singer, songwriter, writing music. Dancing. Painting. Yeah, yeah Picasso style, right. right? Guitar, right. Right. So the anything where you are creative, maybe for some people it's cooking or baking. Whatever it is that you're engrossed in doing something, you're in a state of meditation. Gets you into a flow state. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, I completely agree. I've just bought some, uh, I forget what they call them. They're like these sticks that you can toss up, that you can juggle these sticks in the air. You have, you're holding two sticks, and then you, you're tossing a third stick up in the air and, and oh, bouncing yeah, it yeah. around. And, uh, and I, I keep those in a car. Actually, I have them in my bedroom. But uh, it gets me into a flow state because you, it forces you to be present. Anything that, um, you know, I start my day off with a cold shower in the morning. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So let me explain why all of those things make sense for you. Okay. okay? One, I was going to say when you were nine, you had an ulcer, a stomach thing. And, you, and because you're type B and you have more adrenal cortisol production, you should always be put into sports, anything active, mm -hmm. because that burns that off. Right, right, right. So for you to pick this, like, juggling stick, I know what you're talking about. It kind of goes like this, right, yeah, back and yeah. forth. Okay. And I think even in Japan, they have it where it's two sticks, and it's a string between the two of them, and it looks like a giant dowel, and mm -hmm. it's called a devil's something, whatever. You are graded on your ability to do tricks because they are teaching your coordination skills, okay? Mm. Which you're using your brain stem for. Mm -hmm. Again, you are engaging, engaging. And for you, because of your ulcer at nine, um, you need something that stimulates mo your mobility, okay? Now, cold shower for you, because you're a man and you, you, your body temperature is on the warmer side, okay? Cold shower all of a sudden increases your circulation. Because think hot, then cold, then hot, then cold. So all of a sudden you have a flow of circulation. Flow of circulation means you're getting rid or you're moving around your adrenals that you're just producing, producing, producing. So it's a great thing for you. But it's also not bad to go cold, warm, cold, warm. This is for circulation. Mm. 
So it all makes sense. You found already your medicine. Right, right. If we listen enough to our bodies, we'll find our medicine. There's a reason why they say quiet your mind. See what your gut does. And that's what meditation is. It's quieting your mind. Don't think. Let it happen. Um, you also are uh, a do- I want how do I say dog psych dog trainer dog psychologist. I, I call it dog behaviorist. Dog behaviorist, um, which is fascinating because uh, my roommate has three dogs. She has a pit bull and two chihuahuas. Okay. And uh, and it, it is her personality. A pit bull and two chihuahuas. It definitely reflects who she is. Uh, but, um, I've, I've, I'm not good with dogs. Like, not that I'm bad with dogs. I mean, like, dogs love me. Like, all my clients have dogs. I play with the dogs. But, like, there's definitely, uh, I definitely want to master, like, training a dog. And if I tell a dog to sit, it, it, like, some people just do it. And they don't even, it's not even a word spoken. Uh, can you talk to us about maybe some of the mistakes that you see dog owners making? in training their dogs? Uh, so many easy ones, okay? Uh, I'll give you the first one. The dog will jump on the couch and they don't want the dog on the couch. And so the owner will say, down, down, get down. So the dog goes, well, all right, I'm gonna totally lounge on this couch because you told me lie down, so I'm lying down on the couch. And so the mistake that we make as humans is we think that the dog can then understand that the word down sometimes means get off, and when I'm on the ground, down means lie down. Uh. Dogs don't have the cognitive ability to reason with the word down that sometimes it means this and sometimes it means that. So when I go to somebody's home to train them, I teach them in the form of sounds and not words, not English words. Because if we use an English word, then we know what we meant but the dog doesn't get it. For example, you can say no, no, or you can say no, no. Same word means two different things to the dog depending on your tone. So that's a big mistake that people will use the wrong command and not, or or will think the dog can understand English. They really- So what would you say to the dog then if they're on the couch and- Off. Say off. Different word. Off is always get off. Off, if the the dog jumps on you, I'd also say off. Um, now, what about if they're on the couch and you say bed, would that work? Or is that, should you say off and then bed? If a dog really knows the word bed, then you can just say bed. Doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. If the dog's never allowed on the couch, you don't have to worry that the dog's going to go, oh, this is bed now. Okay. Um, yeah. Another big mistake that people make is when dogs growl on the leash because they see another dog. The owner will pet the dog soothingly and go, it's okay, it's okay. The dog doesn't understand, oh, when you say it's okay, it really means it's okay, that other dog's friendly, you you don't have to be afraid. The dog perceives you as being its cheerleader. It's okay, it's okay, you got this. So it's gonna bark more. Ah, that makes so much sense. My God, that's crazy. I remember uh, me and a buddy, uh, Chris Ryan, he wrote this book, Sex at Dawn. It's uh, um, the history of of sexual evolution. And we were walking, we were hiking up in the the canyons, and this this dog was barking, and we thought there was a fence around it. And then we realized there is no fence around it, and it's not chained. And uh, it started running towards us. Uh And... Immediately, like I, like I said, I don't know anything about dogs. I put my hands up as like, you know, because that's what you do in the hood. When you're in the hood, you put your hands up <laughs> to show the other gang members that you don't have a weapon. Right. And and not to shoot, but you also do that when the cops pull you over. So, <laughs> but my buddy Chris Ryan, white guy, he bends down and grabs a rock. And and he goes, and he just like, he, he kind of growls and flinches at it. And the dog went, Ur! and and then went back the other way. And I was like, what was that? And he said that, because uh, he spent some time in India. Uh-huh. And he said, dogs who've been abused uh, usually have been abused uh, by, by having rocks 
thrown uh-huh. at them. And so when you bend down, act like you're gonna throw a rock. They it's, it goes back to the the uh, uh, not priming, but um, conditioning. Yeah. Um, but he also said when a dog is barking, it's not gonna bite you. It's the dogs who don't bite that bark. So I have a different thought on okay. that. Okay. The dogs who don't bark could be sweet and be like, you know, hightailing the other way. But the dogs who don't bark and who are focused on you, they're not barking because when you bark, your whole body moves. And if you think about it, if you've ever shot a weapon, they'll tell you to have your legs shoulder width apart and they'll tell you to completely exhale so all of your your lungs and everything settle on your diaphragm so there's no movement when you have your finger on the trigger so that you nail the center of the bullseye. So when a dog gets still... You really are Israeli. <laughs> I was like, only an Israeli woman would know how to shoot a gun. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> I might have shot once or twice. I might have a couple of guns at home. Um, but it makes sense, right? Like, so when I use the story and people laugh at me, like, I've never shot before, I go to the old-time cameras. You remember how when we had old cameras and we sat it up with a tripod and a long exposure? If you move while you're pressing the button, you're going to get a blur. Right. You have to be completely still. So when an animal's not barking and still and focused on you, yes, I agree. If a dog's not focused on you, I'm not, I don't, I'm not 100% sure I need to see it. Gotcha. Okay? Now, if a dog's barking, there could be fear aggressive or totally aggressive, where they're actually going to go for it. One could be, stay away from me, stay away from me, and asking for birth and don't plan to do anything if you don't do anything. And the last thing that I want to add is when we put our hands up to a dog, when they fight, what do they do? They jump on each other, and their paws are trying to get on top of the other so that they can get the neck and bite the neck, right? So when you put your hands up, it looks like your paws are up getting ready to fight. So what you're saying to the dog is, yo, buddy, it's on. Got you. So the dog's perceiving that it's on. Your fingers look like claws. It's up. It's on. Okay? The best thing to do is to get totally still. Stop breathing, close your mouth, and focus on them. And then the other thing that's really good is to do a quick flinch. Because you're basically saying, my finger's on the trigger, I'm going to move, I'm going to move, I'm going to make my move. It's on. I'm going to come after you. And they're like, no, you're you're sharp like a cheetah. I don't want want any part of this. Got you. That makes sense. It's kind of what he did when I think about it. Because he was very focused. He was very calm. And it was like just a slight flinch. He 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 crouched down, but I, I think he his experience like he he's, he's able to recognize what kind of dog that 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 was that was coming at. That's really interesting. Um, we're almost out of time here. Okay. Are, do you have a website? I do. It's called SB for Shay Behavioral Dog Training. So sbdogtraining.com. A lot of people just find me on Yelp. Um, if you type in Shays, so it's S-H-A-Y apostrophe S, behavioral training, I tend to pop up pretty early in the search. Fascinating. I, I have a million questions for you, but um, we're going to have you back on. Oh, I'd love sure. to. Uh, the last thing I want to say is uh, I always ask this of all my guests, and we understand you're not a psychologist or, or therapist, uh, but I always feel like there's always one person listening in who may be on a precipice of completing suicide. Mm. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person? A, a lot of it can be with a belief system of not being good enough. And sometimes somebody did that to us, so it's not our fault. It's a legitimate thing to feel so bad and hopeless and helpless. And what I'd like to do is for them to make a list of things that they're good at. And they're not allowed to go, well, anybody can do that. No, there's a lot of people who can't do things. Make a things, make a list of things that you're good at. I would definitely go to EFT on YouTube, um, type in EFT, and the particular thing, the particular belief system that you have. 50% of what we can do, what we're capable of doing, is based on our belief system. 
And you know, when people don't have the career that they want uh, or not making the income that we want, that tends to be a big cause for on the precipice of suicide because if you can't afford your bills, you're like, you're overwhelmed. So this is a big one, and I think that changing your belief system, finding your passion, finding what you're good at, um, so that you can start, you know, paying your own bills and being afloat is a really good place to start. And I highly recommend EFT. And I know you might think it's not, oh, it's not going to do anything for me. Try, try. You know, I don't know how you plan to, how people are planning to end it. But when you end it, you don't die quick. You die very, very painfully. Very, uh, you know. I don't want to explain, but, you know, from a medical standpoint, it's a very painful thing because your body doesn't want to die. You're, if you scratch yourself, your body heals autonomically. You don't make yourself form a scab. Your body does. Your body wants to live badly. That is a great analogy. Wow. Yeah, you scratch yourself, it heals. It's like, no, we want to be here. Let's fix this up. Let's get back to it. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Shay, thank you so much. Thank you. This was amazing. Thank you all for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get therapy. It's not a substitute for you calling that 1-800-SUICIDE number uh, or trying some EFT or EMDR. Try something. Try anything. Uh, and we will talk to you again. Uh, I wanted Shay, to add one yeah, quick thing, if throw, I may. Throw that in there, Shay. Go ahead. So um, whenever I was feeling down, I realized that when I went to help somebody else and somebody's getting advice from me, it was almost as if I was the teacher for a moment. I was on the pedestal for a moment. And that always alleviated my depression. So if you're feeling low, go volunteer somewhere where you can be of service to somebody else and see how thankful somebody is for you for you being around, for you helping. Go help with serve meals for the homeless. Go volunteer at a dog rescue and walk dogs. This Sunday they have a you know volunteer for Westside German Shepherd just to walk dogs who are otherwise in a cage for two years straight. Go volunteer and be helpful to somebody else if you're not feeling good about yourself. Yeah, you know, even when I was in college, I used to go help uh, or just sit with and talk to the elderly in yes. nursing homes. Yes, um, I didn't enjoy it, so I didn't do that very long. But it's about finding the thing that you do enjoy in that, you know, like if it was building homes, because it goes back to me needing to be physical. Yep. So, like, uh, Habitat for Humanity, Humanity would be a much better uh, fit for me. Uh, even just doing something for your neighbor. Like sometimes like I'll cook something. I made some almond milk and I made way too much. And so I just jarred it up and gave it to my neighbors yeah. and I didn't even know them. So there's so many ways that you can be of service that doesn't really require a lot of your time or energy. And then there, there are ways that you can that would require it. So find a thing that works for you. And then, you know, however you get in touch with uh, Leo here, Tell us how you did what you did. Like, I'm really interested in hearing from, from you and finding out that you went, well, I was feeling really depressed, and I went this way. I went to work at ha Habitat for Humanity. Let us know. I'm really curious how it helped you, if it helped you. So let us know. Yeah, let us know, because Shay is now my new co-host. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I have a stake in this. I want to hear that my, our suggestions help. That's all. I have a stink. I'm, I'm basically, I'm saying is I'm going to call up Leo. I'm like, did anybody call you and tell you? I want to know. <laughs> uh, please leave those comments in the uh, in the iTunes. Uh, you know, rate it five stars. Leave a comment, and and definitely it, it does help because it not only helps us, but it also helps the community and the other other people who are going to uh, read those comments. And that's something that I would also share. Publicly, so it's, it's, it's uh, you know, each one, teach one, and we will talk to you soon.